Yes, this is The Bike Show on Resonance 104.4 FM. My name's Jack Thurston, and joining me again in the studio is Kieran Yates. And we're going to pick up for the second half of his uh, Pan-American odyssey from the top, from Fargo, North Dakota, down to New Orleans, Louisiana. Welcome to the show again, Kieran. Thank you very much, Jack. Good to and be here. So let's pick up where you left off last week. We were heading south. Yeah, I think we'd um, got down as far as St. Louis, and really there's not a great deal um, of interest between St. Louis and um, Memphis. Uh, you're going through the top end of the delta at that point, the Mississippi Delta, um, <clears throat> flat farming land. Um, I cut across the river into Kentucky and cycled down to Tennessee. And Tennessee, the top half of Tennessee is absolutely beautiful cycling country. It's nice and rolling, very wooded. There's some fantastic lakes there. And uh, I would say if you're going to start a cycle journey along the Mississippi, northern Tennessee, head down to New Orleans, I think that's the best part of the ride to So, that, so you, you got through the... The, the boredom of the uh, agricultural flatlands. <laughs> um, yes, but they, they do come back at you, but um, you can skip across the other side of the river into uh, the bayous of Louisiana. Well, before we get on to um, playing some of the uh, interviews that you uh, recorded along the way, just say, what was it like in terms of your reception along the road? I mean, were, were you an unusual sight? Um, I guess I was an unusual sight. I could probably count on my fingers and toes the number of other cyclists I saw following the same route as myself. Um, in the cities, there's particularly Minneapolis and New Orleans. There's a great deal. But, but of course, there's people cycling, commuting and all the rest of it. But in terms of someone who's clearly doing a long trip, um, you know, with their... They were, probably you were starting to smell a little bit, <laughs> and, uh, things like that. I did take a shower every night, Jack. <laughs> every, every, every night, that's luxury. <laughs> but um, no, you—I mean, you, you were clearly in it for you know for, for a distance, and I'm sure that would have been obvious to anyone, especially as you're cycling, you know, along the place where only combine harvesters fear to tread. Yeah, I, I suppose once you stop and start talking to people, the immediate res- response when you tell them what you're doing is awesome. Absolutely fantastic. I wish I could do that. I wish I could... Uh, um, that, that was the general and People were response. friendly, were they? People were very friendly. I, I met very little hostility at all. Um, yeah, I, I would say that uh, drivers on the road were absolutely courteous as well. That, that amazed me. There was just one stretch on Highway 61 in northern Missouri, which was absolute hell. Um, but the rest of the time, you're on fairly quiet roads. Drivers have plenty of time to see you. Um, and when they do see, they give you plenty of space on the side on well, the road. Well, so ha- having known you for a little while, and um, before you set out, and, and, and knowing of your interests in in um, things cultural, you must have been, you know, waiting for heading down into the delta, um, or at least the, the yeah the Mississippi region. I, I hadn't region. really anticipated it in any way. Um, I suppose that. I was a bit disappointed with St. Louis, but maybe that's because I didn't spend a great deal of time there. Um, I think the uh, Gateway Arch there is fascinating and the museum below it. Um, but to get into Memphis, that, that was quite a shock for me because you go down to Beale Street and it's absolutely buzzing and uh, it's a, a real lively little street. And that was the first time I'd been anywhere that was a focus um, for 
activity really. Everywhere else, activity in the cities was quite dispersed, but in Memphis and Beale Street... There's a downtown yeah, it's, where, it, where it's at. Um, it's kind of where it's at. It's, I quite, think it, it's quite touristy, isn't it? It's where it's at for the tourists, but if you want the, the best spots in Memphis are in Midtown Memphis, uh, near Ardent Studios, which uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. is probably the best recording studio in Memphis these days. Yeah, and so further on down, there was a town which um, you visited that was it's a, cult, a kind of cultural beacon of, of the South. Yes, yeah, that would be Clarksdale, Mississippi, and um, I hadn't really anticipated um, Clarksdale to be what it was. I turned up there late at night, uh, walked around town, didn't really seem to see very much. I intended to leave the next morning, and I lost my wallet in town. Uh, fortunately, I got it back the next day, but it meant that I stayed there for an extra couple of days. And whilst I was there, I spoke to Roger Stolly, who told me everything about Clarksdale, starting off talking about just what it means in terms of music. Muddy Waters, Mike Turner, Junior Parker, um, Sunhouse, John Lee Hooker was born here, Earl Hooker, the slide guitar player, just tons of people, Lil Green. Um, and then even today, you have people living here like Super Chicken, James Super Chicken Johnson, Big Jack Johnson. Uh, was with the Jelly Roll Kings for a number of years. Um, and it's not unusual to go to like Red's Lounge, a local juke joint, on a Saturday night, see say a Wesley Jefferson blues band. And part of, you know, part of the evening will be devoted to some soul blues that somebody will get up and sing. And then Wesley will get up and sing, you know, some Hallow Wolf and uh, Muddy Waters. And somebody else will get up and sing something kind of something in between. You know, it's, it's very much still alive and still evolving. Uh-huh. You, you mentioned the juke joint there, yes. uh, and that is the true home of the blues. Um, can you just describe what a juke joint is like? Yeah, well, a juke joint or a juke house, um, it's a traditional blues venue. Uh, it would have been African-American owned or run um, through the years, typically. Uh, places like Sarah's Kitchen still exists, Red's Lounge, Club 2000, Messengers, CWs. Uh, you know, they're, they're scattered around Delta Blues Room. It's almost too nice to call it a juke joint, really, but it is a traditional blues club. You know, the way I would define a juke joint, it's like a house party, except you don't want the people in your house. Right. It's not uh, necessarily so, so. A, a very organized and sanitized and generic kind of blues club that's run in a corporate way. You know, it's very loose. You've got all these brightly colored, very kind of, what I would say, they're, they're in kind of primitivist style. Yeah, yeah I mean, folk um, art is, is primitive. And we got in the folk art through going to juke joints, actually, because that's the first place I ever saw something that, like, wow, I was just knocked over. And, you know, I knew about folk art, but I didn't know about folk art. Mm-hmm. And some local artists who they told me had passed away, so it wasn't anybody I could track down, had painted all the walls with these scenes and reproduced uh, ebony magazine covers, you know, like painted them out with Oprah on them and things like that. It was just very cool. And that got me very interested and sort of opened my eyes to start looking for it. And that's when I realized, yeah, there's folk artists in, in the South and in Mississippi, Alabama, and they do standalone artwork. So, in the window there, you had um, story sticks. What, yeah, what are they yeah, about? some right here too. All ah, right. Yeah, Reverend Nolly is 86 years old. This this one's a great one here, which uh, looks like yeah, the yeah. handle of a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, I know. I love that. And you've got this the ski, like a stick. ski thing. These are doorknob handles. Um, I'm trying to think what else I've seen him use. I mean, you just never know what's gonna you know what's gonna show up. Curtain rails mainly. And he, you know, they're called story sticks because originally he was using more found objects and other things. In other words, things he'd find on his walks or, you know, just recycling things. You know, and it can be just old jars that'll cover in things or like that's a Briar's ice cream container he washed out and made into a jewelry box is what he calls it. 
and various candle holders. Originally, there were two things that kind of gave it that name. One was the found objects sort of would tell a story. In other words, they were sort of recycled items. The other thing is you used to do a lot more of these letters. So it would actually say things on there. Um, I don't know that I have any good ones that really have a saying, but he'd have these sayings that he'd spell out with these little uh, round or square, white with black letter beads. And he just hasn't been doing that as much. I haven't really asked him why. And this um, one here. And that's a butter churn, an old butter churn. And, and it's got the cow on the top of it. And at the top of the stick, it says, holy cow. <laughs> He's got a sense of humor, too. The, the other pictures I was interested in are these spot paintings in the computer yeah, yeah. on the side there. That's uh, L.V. Hall, and she's probably in her mid-50s, mid or upper 50s, lives in Kosciuszko, Mississippi, a couple hours from here. And she's known as the shoe lady because she started out with a garden in her front yard, lives in this little, quaint little neighborhood, and she started sticking shoes on, like, sticks, basically, and putting them out in her garden. Then she started painting the shoes just to kind of make it colorful, I guess. And it kind of went from there. Then she started painting this, that, and the other. And now you'll find, you know, shoes and television sets and computer monitors and soap dishes and cans and bottles and hubcaps and lots of wood and metal. And she'll, depending on what they are, if there's space to put words, she'll put words. And she'll have different sayings like, you know, she might paint on a, uh, a cutting board like you'd use in the kitchen. Face powder may get a man baking powder keep him you know, things like that these great little things so looking at the stuff that you've got here it seems as though the defining essence of um, Mississippi folk art is using found objects recycled objects color and um, spirit of self really and it's you know making something out of nothing and it's to you know basically when you have nothing you want to make your house look better you want to make yourself look better or your you know something look or just be nicer to be around because you know you don't have much. Um, so it's part of that. If you have nothing to work with, well, then you're going to work with nothing. Um, trying to entertain, you know, entertain yourself, it's like with blues. I mean, that's you've worked hard all week, and that Saturday night, by gosh, you were going to just let loose and really you know, get all that out of you and just have a good time, try to forget about everything, and do it in a very cheap manner, which would be a juke joint. Where you know you can buy it at you know, Red's Lounge, you can get a beer the size of your head for what it costs you at like a, a Memphis bar, you know. <laughs> Well, that was Roger Stolly of Cat Head Inc. down there in Clarksdale, Mississippi. Sound like sound like an interesting place he got down there. Um, it was a very interesting place. Um, it attracts musicians from all over the world. It attracts writers. It, it, it once you start to get the feel of the place, it, it's a very quirky. Um, Quite a wonderful little town, really. So a very small town. It's think got a population of twenty thousand there. So. Um, yeah, lot, lots of activity for well, a small town. Let's hear from uh, one of the residents of Clarksdale, Mississippi. This is uh, a track by Super Chicken called Wavy Thoughts. Brain so busy, keeps it working overtime. 
So what kind of wavy thoughts did you have going through your mind <laughs> while you were cycling along through the, uh, the, the rolling uh, countryside? Um, probably at that point, I was becoming very aware that time changed. It seemed as though everything had slowed down completely. Um, four weeks, a week could feel like, as though it was an eternity, really. It was... Um, um, it, it just started to really slow down. I started to en really enjoy the ride at that point, thinking this is a really nice lifestyle. And if I had the option, I could just sort of maybe just hit the road and get occasional jobs being a farmer or dishwasher in some, some town and, uh, and then move on. It and, had an appeal to yeah. it. <laughs> and so you were passing the bayous and what are bayous they, are they lakes or um it's the swampland uh that um borders the mississippi and also the gulf coast it extends down to um beyond new orleans it used to extend a lot further but a lot of it's disappeared and particularly on the western side of the mississippi um you get a lot of the bayous there and uh, they're famous for the muskrat hunting, the alligators and the crawfish and they're, they're very um, um, ecologically rich areas where people can people have managed to make good livings out of just hunting there I think the comparison was that in the 1920s uh, somebody working on the bayous hunting could earn as much as the mayor of New Orleans did in a year. They could earn the same amount in eight months. Wow, so. wow. rich hunting grounds. So you did finally make it to New Orleans. I did, yes. And how is New Orleans? Um, when I was there, it was a lot better than I'd been led to believe and I'd be and I'd anticipated. People said, you don't want to go there. Uh, people are just shoot you, people just mow you down to steal your bike. Uh, it's a real mess down there. But to me, it had... Um, the quality of it was... Um, it was like a, um, a lot of other American towns that were going through uh, a bit of decay. But I spoke to Jeremy Maxwell Parish again when I was down in New Orleans, and he told me exactly how it was immediately after Hurricane Katrina. The first got into town, I guess it was really it was the trash that was the most the most striking thing. Newspaper article said that it was it was 34 years of worth of trash that had been accumulated, like the city's output times 34 years, and uh, just every every street had just mountains of trash. And, waiting to be collected and refrigerators the refrigerators were definitely a, a landmark of, of, of that time right after the storm and they, they almost became a forum for communication these these discarded and stinking and rotting refrigerators <laughs> on every block like every place had lost power for several months so when people came back it was just these these festering refrigerators that were then drug out to the street and uh, this <laughs> Some of the good ones were like, do not open, fashion god inside, like FEMA evacuation side, <laughs> FEMA, FEMA evacuation plan inside. And uh, one that was very prevalent in our neighborhood was, uh, it said, uh, electricians, not lentils. Because there, there was a lot of groups that had come and started serving hot meals right. in the areas. 
and i guess that was kind of the response from the community that you know this this like i guess hippie gruel wasn't what wasn't what was needed at that time it was people to like restore power and just get basic services yeah. back up and running but so I, when i when i first got to new orleans i was volunteering with the bicycle project there and they were they were getting bicycles donated from all over the country and, and fixing them up and, 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 and giving them out to people for $15, which was basically just keeping the place open and keeping the lights on. Was there a lot of demand for the bikes? Yeah, we, I mean, we were selling out all that we were making. Really? Every, right. So, every so day. was that and, and, and because even they were a good way of getting around in the city at that point? Yeah, I mean, in home. New Orleans, it's, it's very flat, so yeah. just ha having a bicycle is... It is a great resource for, uh -huh. for getting around. It's much more efficient than a car. And and, and even now, it, like you see those bikes all over town. Like I think we've we, we, we've changed like the, the you know the bicycle demographic of the city. Right. Like now there's all these gold Schwins and three spirits from Chicago, and there's a lot of like Peugeots that came from Boston. Uh -huh. it, 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 it's uh, that was Jeremy Maxwell Parish talking about how uh, New Orleans was when he. Uh, arrived there as a volunteer in October. So there was a bit of a silver cloud, I mean, a silver lining in the uh, cloud, rather, that the, the New Orleans had become a bicycle city because that was the only way to get around in the immediate yeah, aftermath. It, it Extraordinary, really. It certainly was. And the, there were stories about um, the initial reports that journalists sent back to newspapers, the local newspapers in New Orleans. They, they, The first reports were made by people on bicycles, uh, there was a, a volunteer project over in Algiers, which is on the opposite side of the river from New Orleans. And that was all done on bicycles because bicycles were perceived to be less threatening to people than just turning up in a four-wheel drive. And uh, if you went there as a paramedic on a bicycle, people were much more willing to accept you. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I've never been to New Orleans, much to my regret, um, but I have read one or two books about it. And, and actually, they're I don't know if it's a true representation at all, or it must be a picaresque uh, kind of caricature, but um, uh, a confederacy of dumpses is just full of characters, and it does seem like it's a town of, of characters. It certainly is. It, 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 I intended to carry on from New Orleans, but it has a kind of culture that sucks you in, and if you're not careful, it'll spit you out in a, a uh, mangled mess. Um, but certainly, yeah, there, there are plenty of characters there. And one of the people I met was a guy called The Voice who owns a uh, bike rental shop on the edge of the French Quarter down in New Orleans. And this is his story. I had served 20 years in prison, but all my life I was a taker. But during the 20 years, I promised myself if I ever got out, I was going to try giving. So when I came to New Orleans, I started with just a box at first. And I sung for one night because that's why everybody called me voices. I was a singer when I was young. I made $130 that night. I bought me a whole thing of cleaning supplies. And I got me a push cart from the bus station. And what I did, just started walking the streets and calling myself a footstepper. I was a French Quarter footstepper. I started just washing everybody's cars. I started washing all the windows and different things like this. And so I just built myself a real great clientele and I was dealing with all the high-end people. So one of the first thing I did on this corner across the street, I bought one bicycle and I put one together because I didn't have anything. And I set it on that corner and had a flyer made and I put it on the bike. I still had that bike inside, my first bike. And I started running on that corner right there. 
And uh, people used to see me and laugh, but uh, people started renting my bike. Cause I knew it, this is a tourist town. So they started renting my bike and what I would do when I rent my bike, I let them ride off and then I let them get half a block. And then I'll follow them on my old bike. Cause that's the only bike I got. So I got to follow them, get my bike back when they get through, they ride. So I did that for a few months. I bought me a couple more bikes and I ended up giving me a little frame to sit them on. And I sit them there and I just kept working in the streets and I saved my money. When I got enough, that's when I rented this building right here. And that's when I started opening all my different operations. But uh, the thing is, the reason why I put all this up here because I turned 48 years old on my birthday. And like I said, I did 20 years in prison before I even came here. See, the pe only thing these people know me as, as a giver. But like I said, before I became a giver, I was a taker. But the thing is, on my birthday, June the 17th, this past June, five kids was killed here in this town, teenagers. And see, all the kids, when they see me, they relate to me because I look like them. The way I dress and the way I carry myself. But see, they don't know the inner man I am. See, they don't know my story. That's why I hung this up. Because now, all you see about all the negativism that's going around, around the country, especially in New Orleans, I want to show them there's another way. So I want to give them an inspirational story to show them that you can, don't forget, the chair on the top of my cake, I did 20 years in prison and came home and started doing it, just working on the street with a rag. And the whole upstairs, this is my balcony upstairs also. But see, I slept on the bench for three days. Just three days. And I haven't stopped since then. But the kids need to relate to my story because I am them. When they see me come around, I can go into drug areas or whatever. They say, oh, uncle. They call me uncle when they see me because I'm older but I look like them. But when they see this story, they're gonna see there's another way. Now, this right here, I'm opening up a bike shop. This is gonna be a self-serve bike repair shop. I'm donating it to the French Quarters because see, everything that I have came from the services I gave to the people, but the people allowed me to give them that service. See, I couldn't have did anything if they didn't let me. So this is my gift back to them. I also donated a law library to the people of the French Quarters. Uh -huh. You know, you're the first person who ever even asked me about it. No one even knew about this story right here. This is one of the stories that happened right here in Katrina, showing them inspiration is still life, is still here and it's strong, and they need to share it. Instead of talking about all this garbage that's going on, we already know about that, but there's also a good story too, and there's a better way, but what I want to show you the law library. And that's what all those books are inside, all those law books around it. Took me a hard time in the city to find approval, but this is the law library. And uh, I'm gonna dedicate this also to the people of New Orleans, especially the French Quarter. When I get everything situated, get, get somebody to donate some books and different things. This is a place where they can come and they can talk about serious issues or just to relax. But after this storm, what I noticed, everything is about law. If you don't know anything about law, you got lost out in this mix right here. So this is one of the things I want to give to them. I believe that a law library is one of the strongest things we can possibly have. So I want to build this right here and get at it. Just go back inside and have a quick look at your bikes in there. I, I noticed there's quite a, um, particularly in this area, quite a lot of people riding around on bikes and it's quite a pleasant city to actually ride around. That's what this is all about because see, this is a place where a person needs to just take their time and relax and that's how you can do it on a bike ride. But uh, these bikes, the very, this is the very first bike I ever bought. This is the one I told you I bought and set on the corner over there. 
this one right here. Since then, I've been just buying them so real So you say that's kind of a cruiser with a great big basket on the front. No doubt. No doubt. And that's the first one you rented out? That's the very first one. That's the one I started with. And you've got with, this fantastic old tandem here. Which, um, what I've been doing now is uh, guys come around from Mississippi and different places with those old junk trucks and they are selling the old bikes. And I, like this, this is a old swing with all the original parts. An old swing tandem. Even had the, the emblem still on the front and on these right. and everything. So, so you're going to renovate that? And that's what I'm going to do. Put it back together and clean it up uh -huh. and stick it back out there. What I want to do with the tandems, I've been trying to put them together and buy them. I want to start a bike tour. Right. And my bike tour, instead of going in the French Quarter with my bike tour, I'm going to take them out the French Quarter with my Where bike tour. Where would you go? Like I said, I'm a foot stepper, so I done clean all up the sidewalk, the street. I done watched and seen everything right here, so I know what really will work in here and what won't. You get your tour on bikes, don't try to ride inside the French Quarter ride outside the French Quarter, uh -huh. and people would love it even what, more. What are the places to see outside the French Quarter? You have, um, right now, even though it's a catastrophe, all the flood areas and different things. These are things right here for pe people should see them. You know, I, I can't even understand somebody say, well, why would you want, want, want to see something like that? You want to see because you want to relate to what didn't happen to these human beings. Then you can really understand what's going on. What hopes do you have for New Orleans in the future? It's very simple. I wish people would learn to give. They're, it's, it's so simple, it becomes complicated for them to give. If you learn to give, everything will ease for you. But people are afraid to give. That's why they're, that's why they're taking. I hope that one day the people will stop being afraid and start giving and sharing. Because as long as you give and share, you're going to be smiling every day. I don't worry about nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I know I don't make enough for my rent to be paid, but at the end of the month, it's always paid. Right here, I get the kids tied up free. A guy came and seen me and heard about my story. He came back and gave me that. Fantastic. Yeah, right. so, so you pumped up somebody's tire and you got given an air compressor. Try to tell you, the more you get, the more you get. <laughs> it, it works. Uh -huh. But for all my life, for 40 years, I just you took, took first and it don't work. Uh -huh. It don't work. And I've been giving for the last few years. Oh man, it's sweet. If I've been doing it for some years, <laughs> it works. And that's 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 the moral and that's the truth. It really works. Learn to give. That was the voice of the French Quarter Footsteppers, which is a bicycle hire business down on the corner of the French Quarter in New Orleans near Frenchman's Street. And so he did mention that there are still a lot of signs of the devastation caused by the hurricane um outside the city going down towards the gulf coast and in the uh ninth ward i believe that there is i i didn't actually go out there and have a look myself in in the city itself the evidence is you'll turn a corner and suddenly you'll hit a an old parking lot and it's full of um trailers People where the camper van kind of things that people have uh -huh, to sleep uh -huh. in, uh, the cracked pavements, the um, sprayed symbols on the doors where they've done the searches right, of the right, houses. Right. So but it's all still it's still there in in a way. Mm. So practical terms, you did a, uh, this journey from one end of the United States to the other. I mean, how um, possible is it for a regular cyclist or a, a re sort of imagine a typical London commuter cyclist fancying going on a first bike tour in America? I think if you give yourself time and prepare your bike well, then I think it's possible for most people to be able to do it. I, I, 
I suppose I do do quite a lot of mileage in a year, but I don't think I'm exceptional in any way. You weren't carrying an awful lot of stuff. I wasn't, no. And I stayed in hotels, and I think that helped a lot because it meant that I usually got a good night's sleep. And it is quite affordable staying in hotels, really. If if there are two of you doing it, then it would work out very economical indeed, I think. Yeah, well, thanks for bringing some of that tour back to us, Kieran. Um, And... uh, we're pretty much at the end of the show now, and um, next week on the show uh, is going to be a special show from the Cycle Show 2006. We were giving away tickets um, last week to a few lucky people, and um, I went down there with Joe Upton from Bike Club, and uh, we went in quest of the best gadget at the bike show Cycle Show uh, 2006, and we also met someone rather special along the way but hear about that on the show next week next up is the clear spot <laughs>